Pastor Doug uh, sat in the first service, and then he told me he's going to go check out Children's Church, the second service, so there's no pressure this service. So, um, for those of you uh, who are visual learners, uh, first of all, show of hands, how many of you are a visual learner in this room? Come on. That's what I'm talking about. This is for us, for later. I'll get to it eventually. In the meantime, I know myself, if there was something up next to me, uh, up next to the preacher and uh, I was just sitting out there, man, my mind would be wandering as to what in the world is he or she going to do with that? But we're going to pretend that there's just an invisible wall right here and it doesn't exist until we get to that point. I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, if you had a great Thanksgiving, just give a shout real quick. Say amen. amen. Come on. I had an awesome, awesome, awesome Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, just a few days ago, many were gathered together, friends, family, surrounded by loved ones, celebrating Thanksgiving. Some families have traditions that they do either before eating or after eating, or maybe some families go Black Friday shopping together. I don't know why you would want to do that. It's chaos. Uh, the, the sin nature of people, you know, really comes out on Black Friday, especially at midnight. It's crazy. Uh, I've, I've only ever gone midnight shopping one time, and I didn't buy a thing. Uh, I just wanted to see what it was like, and I will never do it again. And I was one of those people that, <laughs> that I got something in my hand that I know people wanted, and I just, like, hit it somewhere else. It was so funny. Uh, I was in college. Uh, I was a different person then. Thank you, Jesus, for working on my heart. I apologize for that one. Um, but one of the things that uh, my family did uh, when I was growing up, now this is before I, I got saved at a, uh, a Pentecostal church, at an Assemblies of God church in Massachusetts. Um, I, w I grew up, quote unquote, in the Catholic church. And there's a quote unquote there because my family, I, I coined the phrase Christers. We went to church on Christmas and Easter. And... Um, one of the things that we always did, however, which, you know, small things that I realize now that I'm an adult, an adult, I have a relationship with Jesus, I'm able to really look back over my life in hindsight and recognize small seeds that were sown in my life that really at the time meant not a whole lot to me, that even though it didn't mean a whole lot to me, those seeds were sown and they became something in the future that produced fruit. And one of the things that uh, we did when I was growing up was when we sat around the table for Thanksgiving, we uh, had this little book that had portions of uh, the Gospels in it, basically giving the account leading up to the birth of Jesus to really welcome the Christmas season into our house. And so before we ate, we would read through that little booklet, all say something that we were thankful for, and then we would dig in. And I know that there was something that was certain every year, still is in my life, it's certain every year at Thanksgiving. I don't know what is going to happen before, I don't know what is going to happen after, but I know one thing is certain, when I sit down at that table, I'm leaving filled. In Jesus' name, <laughs> amen. How many of you are stuffing lovers, right? Stuffing, come on. My sister-in-law made a stuffing this year, and it was like the most amazing thing ever. I ate too much stuffing, I have to admit. Uh, and uh, I felt like I needed to take a, a spiritual nap after. Anybody else, you know, close your eyes. Ministered to by Minister Mattress, Pastor Pillow, covered by the Great Comforter. <laughs> Amen. It's bedside assembly right there. However, don't do that on Sundays. Um, 
But uh, sometimes you leave so full again that you just, you know, you feel like you need to lay down somewhere. Either way, I don't know about you, but I have set it in my mind, in my heart, and in my stomach that I am leaving filled and it will come to pass. I knew that I could say this, that, that I was going to leave filled because I knew what I was about to do to accomplish the task and see that it became my reality, which I can tell you, Thanksgiving 2022, it became my reality. I was on my second plate. My second plate was just as big as my first. And then uh, I don't know who it was at the, at the table who reminded me that there was dessert. I totally forgot about dessert. Uh, and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to have dessert after everything that I just ate. Uh, but I, 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 there's always room for dessert. Come on. It's like a little pocket of our stomach that just is reserved for pie and things like that. Um, but, however, here's, here's what I want to do with this mindset. This mindset that uh, what I have set out to do, this feeling that I am seeking and pursuing and about to receive will come to pass. What I want us to do is take that mindset and apply it to our spiritual lives. What would happen if the church began to say, I am not leaving this table, I am not leaving this altar, this prayer time, this time of worship, or this separated time of devotion until I am filled up? Or better yet, go into said moments that we have in our day uh, with the expectation that just like I knew I was going to be full after the Thanksgiving meal, know what is about to happen in our prayer closet, our worship, our devotion time, prayer time, and our time of pressing in and seeking the Lord. Now, do I know exactly what that's going to look like, church? Absolutely not. But I know that I'm going to press in. I know that I'm going to seek the Lord, and I know that one way or another, however he seems fit, I am going to be filled by him. Amen? So what would, be, what would happen to our communities, to the church, to the people around us if we began to adopt that mindset uh, leading into that? Psalm 23 is a psalm that all of us know. Did that come from downstairs? That's crazy. I thought it was someone out here, you know. I was like, wow. Excuse you. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm going to text Pastor Julie right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> psalm 23 is a psalm that we all are familiar with, or at least should be familiar with. If you want to say to somebody, I have memorized an entire chapter of the Bible, Psalm 23 is only six verses. If you want to memorize a passage of Scripture, I think the easiest passage in all of Scripture is John chapter 11, verse 35. It's Jesus wept. You're welcome. Psalm 23, though, beginning in verse 1, here's what it says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
And there's a statement made in verse five where I don't know about you, I want this for me. I want to be able to declare in verse five that my cup overflows. Matthew chapter 5 is is, uh, a portion of scripture where Jesus is preaching to the multitudes and uh, chapter 5 begins with something that's known as the Beatitudes. And verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So what are you hungry for today, church? What are you craving today? If spiritual growth is something that you truly desire, then are you being filled by Jesus? Here's a tension that we all, especially as believers, have to navigate. There are many things that you can be filled with today. There are many things that that can take up residence in your heart, and not all of it is good. Uh, We deal with things like pride, And sometimes pride is sneaky. Sometimes you don't even know that you're dealing with it until you just really have time to reflect over an encounter, a situation, a conversation, whatever it be, and you're able to see, wow, that that was pride right there. We deal with things like arrogance, idols. Bitterness is a big one. Bitterness, church, is a scary one. The Bible talks about bitterness and compares it to that of a root in Hebrews chapter 12. Back in 2016 for the New York Assemblies of God Network Conference, our main speaker was A.R. Bernard, a pastor in Brooklyn, New York. He talked about the bitter root and said something along the lines of, the bitter root is exactly what the Bible says it is, a root. A root lies beneath the surface and grows beneath the surface. Chances are that if the fruit of bitterness is evident in the life of an individual, those roots were growing long before it ever surfaced. The Bible tells of an encounter that Jesus has with a woman at a well in John chapter 4. And so this is where we're going to spend a lot of our time this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is traveling from Judea to Galilee, and he has to travel through Samaria to reach his destination. Along the way, he comes to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the property that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. There was a well there called Jacob's Well. Here's something that we have to understand. If your main means of travel in this day and age was walking, which it was, uh, you know, if you weren't wealthy, you didn't have a horse or you didn't have a donkey or anything. And so if your main means of uh, transportation in this day and age was walking, just so you know, this region of the world is within at least, they walked everywhere. So it's within walking distance of a desert. How many of us know that deserts are hot? They're hot. And so if you're walking everywhere in a region that is within walking distance of deserts, it's going to be hot. You're probably going to get tired. You're probably going to get hungry. Your ankles might be swollen or something like that, whatever, whatever might happen. And you're probably going to be thirsty. And so Jesus, being fully God and fully man, because he was fully man, he experienced things like hunger. He experienced things like thirst. He experienced exhaustion from the physical, uh, the physical labor of just walking to get anywhere. And so it's safe to say Jesus was tired. The Bible tells us that he was tired. A woman from Samaria came to the well to draw water, and Jesus asks her to draw him up some water so that he can have a drink because the disciples had just gone into town to get food. 
She was, uh, she was taken back by his question because Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Uh, Jesus being Jewish, she was uh, shocked. And in verse 9, here's what it says. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Herein lies the problem with her perspective is there was, there was tension between the Jews and the Samaritans, and, and it was a prejudicial uh, tension. Uh, the, the Jews uh, of that day believed that they were pure blood, and the Samaritans were half-breeds because the, the Samaritans were basically a sect of Jews who left uh, everything that was happening in, Ju- uh, in uh, Judaism and in Jerusalem and under the, the leadership of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and they went to go intermarry uh, with uh, Gentiles. And so the pure-blood Jews thought, of them as half, uh, half-bloods or unpure or unclean, and so they did not associate whatsoever. And the problem with her thinking, which brings me to my first point, uh, is that the infilling is for all people. The infilling is for all people. And you might think that this might be a message about the, baptim- uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I'm not going there today. In fact, th- that point will make more sense as we complete this entire account. And so beginning in verse 10, John chapter 4, verse 10, listen to what it says. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and this well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank from it himself. Uh, And so did his sons and livestock. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water that I will give him will become a well of water springing up uh, within him for eternal life. And so Jesus is communicating right there that this water that he has to offer is better. It's greater. In fact, it will become a well springing up. And so she says, sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I will not come here and get thirsty again and, and come to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you have had five husbands, and the man you, are now, you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship, uh, where you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We Jews worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. I know this is a little lengthy. We're almost done. Verse 23. But an hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Verse 26 is exciting. Verse 26, if you read the Bible and you put yourself in the perspective of the word of God, should be exciting for anybody who reads it. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. This is a big deal. 
The Jews had been waiting over seven centuries since the first time that a, a, prof, a prophecy was spoken about the Messiah for him to come. And now here Jesus is telling this woman, a Samaritan woman, I, the one speaking to you, am he. And so something that I want us to focus in on is the fact that Jesus talks about the fact that whoever comes to drink from this well that they were currently at, which was Jacob's well, will get thirsty again, but he who drinks from the water that he offers will never be thirsty again, that it would become a well of water springing up in him or her for eternal life. Here's something that I want us to understand today. Point number two, you can be filled with the wrong things. Jesus then begins to read her mail. I don't know about to you, but if Jesus is reading your mail, you better drop to your knees and just, I'm sorry, repent, repent. And so she was trying to find satisfaction in all the wrong places. She has had five husbands previously. The man that she was with was not even her husband. I think it's safe to say that she was trying to discover and find her sense of being, belonging, value, and worth in all the wrong places. And to her, it looked like a relationship. For many today, it might look different. It might be a material thing. It might be a relationship. It might be hurt. It might be bitterness. And so now we're going to get to this, right? This container right here and ping pong balls. What does that have to do with anything? Let me illustrate for you. This container right here represents our lives. And, and being, being that this represents our lives, these ping pong balls represent the wrong thing that we can fill ourselves with. And so if material things is what you find your value in, then right here represents, you know, people who find their identity in clothing or, you know, that next technology that, you know, every September Apple puts out a new iPhone and all of a sudden the one that's perfectly fine in your hand stops working and becomes obsolete in your heart and mind and, you know, all of a sudden you don't want it anymore. Or maybe you're like the woman at the well and, and she found satisfaction or she was rather trying to find and discover value, belonging, uh, satisfaction through a relationship and so it's like man I took a shower today to come to church and you know I put I put deodorant on and you know I put perfume you know on either side of my shoulders so that the person that you know I'm really looking at hoping they notice me will give me that spiritual side hug and you know be able to catch a whiff of you know what I have on and maybe you know they'll be like wow you smell really good and notice me and you know all that stuff and somebody might look at this container and say that this container is full that this container is filled to the brim. If I try to put another ping ball, I might be able to squeeze another two or three on there. But here's the problem with this image. You can see where the gaps are between each ping pong ball. And the problem is that this, this vessel, this container will never be filled to true capacity because things that were never meant to be in there on the first place are currently filling it. And so when you find your sense of value in something that you were never meant to find your value in in the first place, maybe it's a promotion, maybe it's a certain achievement, whatever it is that you're trying to discover and you achieve that, uh, that, that thing that you have set out to achieve and you get there thinking that, man, I will have made it and you're left wanting more. You're left unsatisfied. You're left feeling, wow, that's, that's a little disappointing. I'm not feeling the way that I thought I would. And it's because this vessel is filled with things that it was never meant to contain in the first place. 
And Jesus is telling that woman, whoever comes to this well, again, being the physical well, Jacob's well, will get thirsty again. This is not a sermon about hydration or dehydration or, you know, me rebuking hydration. Drink water. Uh, I'm not a medical person in any way, shape, or form, but I'm pretty sure we're like 60 or 70 uh, something percent water. If you don't drink water, you're going to have problems. Hydrate. Um, However, when it comes to the context of this illustration, if all of these things that represent something else, material things, a relationship, a person, place, or thing that is not Jesus, all these gaps, when you add them together, create a significant amount of space that cannot be filled because these things were never meant to be there in the first place. And so when you invite Jesus in, he says that I am a well of water that will spring up from within you for eternal life. You know, somebody gives their life to Jesus with this whole mess in them, and that happens, right? That looks discouraging because nothing happened. It's the first time you went to a Sunday night prayer, and it's like, man, you know, I'm pressing in, and all of my problems are still there. All of these things that I'm still dealing with are still there and all that stuff, but you keep pressing in and you have your private worship time. You've been saved for a month now. You know, you're starting to feel something in, within you. You know, you've been praying. You've been consistently praying, reading the word, uh, having a private worship time, coming together when we gather together on Sundays, and you have just been faithful, and you begin to feel something change. Something happens within the life of an individual when they invite Jesus into their heart. Amen? You might not even be looking to deal with these things. However, when Jesus exists and sits on the throne of your heart, these things cannot remain. And so as you keep pressing in and seeking God, and he keeps having his way within you little by little, all of these things begin to just pour out because they were never meant to be there in the first place. And lo and behold, this is an image of, uh, this is a testimony of the life transformed by Jesus. And it requires consistency from us, church. It requires us for us to be able to acknowledge the fact that we are sinners in need of a savior. All of those ping pong balls, the material things, I no longer, I no, I no longer find my sense of value where I'm pursuing these material things for a sense of identity. The bitterness that I was holding on to, I'm letting it go. I know that there's many in the church world who have said something along the lines of, I will never forgive or I will never let go of, or I just can't bring that, uh, I, I can't bring myself to acknowledge this person, this person's mistake, their hurt, whatever they did, and bring myself to a place of forgiveness. But when Jesus sits on the throne of your heart, he says, no, that's not my heart. Forgive much as you have been forgiven. And he begins to just do something in your heart. And he begins to transform you. And you begin learning how to love. You begin learning how to have joy, peace. Kindness will be something that people speak of, uh, speak of concerning you. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you're not catching on, this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus sits on the throne of your heart the, and you're pursuing him and all of these things just start, the Lord is just dealing with them one by one. They start coming out one by one until, lo and behold, you can look back in hindsight and say, wow, God is good. You end up in a place that you never thought you could be. 
You end up in a place of forgiveness that you never thought you would be when it comes to certain individuals or things. You no longer identify by material things or hurt or bitterness or anything outside of the person of Jesus. And the exciting part about it is this isn't even where it stops. It stops. My cup overflows and it keeps going, and it keeps going, and it keeps going, and it keeps going. And what happens if some, if I didn't have this container here, I have it here because I don't want to clean something up later. But if I didn't have this container up here, this water would be going everywhere. It would start making a mess. And if I started just walking around this sanctuary with this pitcher in my hand and just allowing water to dump everywhere, other people would become soaking wet. Other people would be affected by what's happening internally within me. This begins to happen when Jesus is allowed full access to your heart and life. You acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, but just as much as you are in need of a Savior, you're also in need of a Lord. When we try to be our own Lord or ruler over our own lives, we messed up. So clearly, we can't even be fully trusted in leading ourselves. The Bible goes as far to say that our hearts are deceitful. It's an acknowledgement that there has never been a passing moment in our lives where we did not need a Lord or a Savior, where we did not need Jesus. And I am standing up here today to tell you that I, Pastor Pablo, there has never been a moment of my life where I was not in need of Jesus. With every breath I take, with every moment of my day, I need Jesus. And so point number three, the source of infilling and satisfaction will forever be Jesus. Jesus is the wellspring of water that leads to eternal life. Did you know, so when I, when I first got saved, you, all, you obviously didn't know this because you didn't know me. I lived in Massachusetts. But when, when I first got saved, I did not touch the Old Testament. It was just a foreign place for me that was just, you know, irrelevant in my mind. I'm like, why would I want the old? I need the new. And then you get to Romans 6, you know, and, uh, or Romans, really, the book of Romans, and it kind of corrects, it corrected that thinking in my life. Uh, but I also didn't touch Revelation, because that was terrifying. Revelation was terrifying to me when I first got saved, and so I really read from Matthew to Jude, but not really, you know, everything, because, you know, some things allude to Revelation, and again, I was like, that's terrifying. I don't want to think about that. But did you know that the Old Testament tells us that we were created with eternity in our hearts? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, here's what it says. I have seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made, me, uh, he has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts. We are the children of Adam, by the way, church. So he has put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work uh, God has done from beginning to end. Verse 11 communicates that we were created with eternity in our hearts, that there's almost a natural yearning for what comes next after this life that exists within every single person. And I believe that this is done very intentional by our creator because after all, we were created by him, for him, to be with him forever. 
So Jesus, listen to this. So Jesus being the wellspring that leads to eternal life is saying that he is the key to discovering the true satisfaction and fulfillment that you have been yearning for your whole life. And it cannot be discovered in any other person, place, or thing. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. The Apostle Paul, if I could have the worship team come up. The Apostle Paul talks about this a little bit in Philippians 4, 10 through 13. This, this, the, the, the source of infilling and satisfaction will forever be Jesus. Beginning in verse 10, it says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him. I am able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What the Apostle Paul is declaring right here is that he is full, that he is filled, that he is content. He has found the secret of contentment, that he has found the secret of what it, what it means to uh, be satisfied in that, that yearning for eternity. He has found the key that unlocks the fulfillment in our hearts for that because he was connected to the source that fills the well of water that springs up for eternal life. With his mind set on Christ, his heart set on eternity, and his eyes on the task before him, the apostle Paul was able to transform an entire generation. Not only that, but his influence crosses generations because I don't know about you, the apostle Paul has influenced my life because of his obedience to Jesus. And my last point today is more of a practical point a practical instruction for us. Remain connected to the source. Remain connected to the source. This is not enough right here. You got, you got filled and all that stuff has been dealt with, but this is not enough because as you pour out to people, this vessel is gonna start to drain. And there might exist room for one of these things that wasn't meant to be there in the first place to come creeping right back in. We're creatures of habit. We're creatures of habit. Again, our hearts cannot even be fully trusted. We are creatures of habit. But when Jesus is the Lord of our lives, he just keeps pouring. And he keeps pouring and keeps filling us so that there is no more room for something to exist in us that was never meant to be there in the first place. So as long as we remain on this earth, live in this flesh and feel the temptations of sin around us, we will always be in need of saving. We will always be in need of a savior. We will always be in need of a Lord. And church, I'm here to tell you today that Jesus is risen that he is indeed alive and he is coming back and he is that savior if we could all stand together 
Remaining connected to him in all seasons of life, church, allows us to truthfully declare verses like Psalm 23, 5, my cup overflows. Philippians 4, 13, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. He is the wellspring. He is the source. He is the secret to contentment, to finding the fulfillment and yearning for eternity that we have been longing for far before we ever acknowledged him for who he is. So the two questions that I have for you today, church, are number one, do you know him? And number two, are you being filled by him daily? With every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, if you have never given your heart to Jesus, today is the day to begin being filled. Well, Pastor Pablo, you don't know what I've done. The other day, you don't even know what I just said to this person whom I would consider a friend or maybe a family member. My, my response to that is clearly you don't know how big and great our God is. The blood of Jesus will forever be enough. His sacrifice on the cross was for all sin. Not some, some sin, all sin. And so if you are here in this room and you have never given your life to Jesus, today is the day of salvation.